can see Pastor Brett is taking a rest tonight, and we're stepping in to give a hand. And I want to invite you tonight to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to leave Job behind tonight, and we're going to look in Isaiah 40, but I think we're going to see some places that Isaiah 40 dives into the book of Job. And Isaiah was the writer, the Holy Spirit was the writer, but Isaiah was the composer the Holy Spirit was flowing through. He was a prophet in the land of Israel, I believe about 47 years. He came on the scene at the time of Uzziah the king. He was a king that lived a long time. He lived 52 years. But Isaiah in chapter 6 made an interesting reference. He said, the very day that Uzziah the king died, I saw the Lord. And it was that day. You think about that and let God speak to you there. But from the time of Uzziah, there was Jotham, there was Ahaz, and then there was Hezekiah, a very godly king for the most part. He went through a lot in his life. God spared his life. Many things happened in Hezekiah's life in his journey. Very interesting. The book of Isaiah was the most quoted prophetic book of all the apostles and disciples. Paul, the disciples, often quoted the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is very messianic, meaning as you look at the book and you keep on looking at the lessons The Lord Jesus comes out again and again, prophesied, spoken of, hidden. Isaiah 53 is a classical because that's where we have the crucifixion we've just remembered. Also, Isaiah is also a book that uh, it, it went from 760 to 713 B.C. is when Isaiah lived. But he was a prophet like most prophets that had a very high and clear calling of God. His calling was to declare truth to people that were basically moving away from God. And all through the prophets, there were those that were moving from God, and Isaiah was the one who was dispatched to the scene at this time of human history. Possibly as we look into Isaiah chapter 40 tonight, there may be no chapter in the Bible that will describe our God more beautifully. It is a book that speaks so much of the majesty and the greatness of God. And I want to begin to read and then share with you a little burden that we can keep pulling out, a little a little area that God has laid in our heart tonight as we look at this, as Isaiah begins to uh, write to the people as God was speaking to him in verse, verse 1, chapter 40, Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak, speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A lot of times you see a prophet, our first thought of a prophet is he's a harsh person. He came to bring judgment and he was a vindicator of righteousness. And yes, that was a place a prophet operated. But notice the message God was giving this prophet. The first one was, Isaiah, as you go, comfort the people. Don't forget to come. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. It is a basic lesson in Christian ministry, lesson 101. 
be a comforter, be one who speaks kindly. He goes on, and then go out and reach out to Israel at this time and share uh, share my message. Verse 3, a voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness and make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Once again, as we look at this, we see a specific calling to Isaiah. Clear the way. Make a, pay, a path that the people can come and hear clearly the message of God. Isaiah, you be the man who teaches the truth so the people can clearly hear the message. And then he says, and let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. And this is a beautiful part of what the word of God does. Those that are down and discouraged like some people tonight, the word of God is intended to lift up. It's intended to strengthen It's intended to give us hope to walk out these doors and say, I can live for Jesus this week. And then it also says every mountain comes down. And where there is exultation in our heart, or if we are flirting with the sin of pride, there's a sense that the gospel is intended to bring us back in humility and brokenness before God. The Lord was telling Isaiah here, go, and this is what I want to see. And he says, and let the rough ground be made a plain. You've got to smooth out the rough ground, Isaiah. And let the, and the rugged terrain will become a broad valley. Then, Isaiah, then God tells Isaiah something. He says, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. I want my name lifted up. I want my person lifted up. I want to share my glory with no man. And here he says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Isaiah, you be faithful in your calling, and my name will be lifted up, and the people will see my glory. We used to raise apples in Washington State, and I still have an apple orchard up there. And there's something about apples, they're, they're beautiful. They're really beautiful. We raised some Honeycrisp and Fujis and Grannies and Goldens. I see some people smiling. But one of the stories that apple growers tell often is a story about the guy driving down the road and he's with his son and he's hungry and he stops and he says, hey, let's just go over and get an apple. So the dad walks up to the tree and he looks around and he doesn't see anybody. He grabs a nice red apple and he gives it to his boy. And he looks again and he, no one's there, so he grabs another apple. And then he sits down right in the apple orchard and dad and son are eating the apple together. And finally the son says, Dad, yeah. He says, you looked all around but I noticed that you forgot to look up. It's a real simple lesson, but it's an amazing lesson for all of us too. Because there is a sense that in the Christian life in which we live, if we are not consciously aware of this, we forget to look up. And this is what God was calling the children of Isaiah to do, is Isaiah, go back to these people and encourage them to look up. Our eyes gravitate down. 
our eyes gravitate somewhere else. And here Isaiah is saying, the glory, God says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. But Isaiah, I've got a message for you. And tonight, in this little time we're together, about 40, 45 minutes, this is what we want to do, is we want to stop and we want to look up. We want to look up, we want to see the Lord. Because you found this, and I have too, that when the Lord Jesus is lifted up, he draws everyone, he draws our hearts, he draws everything of our life. But when we get our eyes off of that, we just, and forget to look up, we're making a pretty big mistake. And this is why even Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, would even speak about uh, in running the race, the first thing he says about running the Christian race is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And he was saying, even then, Paul, teach the people to look up because it's so easy to look down. And as we follow this lesson this evening, we will see this. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. When God's glory is revealed, people are going to see the beautiful, unmistakable, incorruptible, and undefiled glory of God. And here he says, all flesh will see it, and the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice said, call out, Isaiah, but I've got a message for you. Sometimes one of the callings in our life is just to encourage others, look up. This is where Isaiah was too. He says, call out. And here he says, call out. And he answers, what shall I call out? I says, what do I say? I don't understand it. And then the Lord says, here's what you say, Isaiah. Say, all flesh is grass and all the glory all the loveliness is like the flower of the field. Verse 6, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, the people are grass. Now, what he is speaking of here, you say, well, how does that relate that the glory of the Lord is revealed? But when we see the glory of God, and we see his greatness and his majesty, his redemption, his power, his love. We recognize that we are nothing without him. We are like grass. Moses would speak of this in Psalm 90. We're just like grass. We live our years. We come, we're gone. And there's another part, though. There's a beautiful another part of this. He says, all flesh is grass. As men and women come to recognize we are grass, we're nothing. When we look up and see the Lord Jesus, when we look up and see the glory of, the, of God, we can embrace a truth that through him we are everything. We can do everything through Christ who strengthens us. And here it was that Isaiah was to give this message. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And once again, we take the word of God tonight and look back at something that seems so ancient so many years ago, and I just want to speak this uh, for just a moment in light of this word. God has placed Dev and I in a place that he has put us all over the world teaching the word of God. 
And I have been amazed to walk into a culture that is so, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I never thought I would see it. But when you take the word of God and you faithfully proclaim the word of God, people rise up and walk no matter where they are. Because the word of God is relevant in every culture. It will reach out to every society, to every hardship, every person. And here it was that Isaiah was, was to say, the grass withers, we're going to die. But Isaiah, don't forget, you've got the enduring word of God that's going to stand forever. It's going to endure forever. I believe the 119th Psalm would say that again and again, forever, O Lord, that your word is settled in heaven. Your word, God, is forever and ever and ever and ever. And this is who God is. Now, in verse 9, notice something, because God was speaking to the messenger to take the message to people who, were, who needed to look up and see the greatness of who he was. And if you look at this, you'll see, he says, Isaiah, I'm going to ask you to get up to a high mountain. Oh, Zion, you be the bearer of good news. I want you to take good news. Now remember, no matter what news we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is always good news that must be a part of that. Jesus saves. Now Paul would write to Timothy and he'd say, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. You've got to, there's a time to give the bad news. Warn. But it's also time to say, but you can make it through Jesus. And sometimes it's easy to look back at the prophets and think, you know, they just beat up the people and went on and died. But that isn't true. When you look into the messages of the prophets, they were preaching a message of a living hope in Jesus. They were teaching a power that was going, going to go, go beyond them. And here it says, O Zion, bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily. I want us to notice the sense of urgency in which Isaiah was being commissioned to teach the gospel of Christ. A while back, we were listening to a message by a brother, and he, he made a statement, and it resonated with my heart because it never has left my mind. From the time I began to teach many years ago, he said, I want to teach with the realization that this could be the last time I'll ever teach. You see, there's a sense through which Christianity becomes normal and it becomes just cozy and comfortable. Even in the days of Isaiah, as he was writing, to the, writing and speaking to those of Israel, notice what the Lord was telling him. I'm, he says, get up in the mountain and lift up your voice and declare truth, Isaiah. In the midst of all the unbelief, keep lifting up the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He says, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up, do not fear, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Now you look at that and you say, yeah, I got it. Here is your God. No, what he's saying is, say to the cities of Judah, this is your God. You've got hope here. You see, when we walk out these doors tonight, every one of you have got a message that you can take on your streets, across the road, into your homes, with your children, grandchildren, that says, this is your God. And this is what Isaiah was saying. And he's saying is, and then he begins to say, behold, the Lord will come with might and his arm ruling with him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And Isaiah begins to speak of the greatness of God. 
the power of God. God is incomparable to no one. We will see this as Isaiah goes, goes on a little later. You know, there was, I'll tell you one more apple story and I'll leave the apples alone. I don't know how many of you know this, but when you eat an apple in the store today, you usually aren't eating an apple from a big tree any longer. They're planted in a trellis with wires. They're tied to the wires. Or in like the orchard, one of the orchards we have, they're, they're tied to a V trellis. And you take the limbs and you, roll, you raise them like a wall. And there's, you plant the trees at an angle. You put 1,000 to 3,000 trees per one acre. And you say, why do they do that? And it's a really amazing. First off, you can get more fruit because you, you, you can cover your space better, but there's another reason, a very important reason. The key to raising a good apple is good quality exposure to the sun. When you take an apple that tastes really well and you look at a, an, an apple that looks really red, it is because it has been exposed well to the sun. Now, too much exposure can cause sunburn. There's a lot of ways to work with that. But the sun is what makes that apple so tasty. Now, when you think about that, let's put it into the, our little lives and to Isaiah's ministry that God was calling him to. He's saying, get the people exposed to the glory and the Son of God. You know, sometimes we get lost in how can I share the gospel with one of my neighbors or maybe one of my children that don't believe? Just take this little lesson and think about it. When the sun touches the life, something magnificent happens and miracles happen. And this is a natural to show a, a spiritual lesson that God was teaching to I, telling Isaiah as he's going out to these people in Israel. Get out there. I want to be up high, nothing else close, no man, no philosophy, no system of government, no idea or concept. I want to be at the very highest of all. And here he begins to speak, though, as Isaiah, as you speak, speak about the greatness and the power of God. This is so important that I, even Isaiah himself had saw this in Isaiah 6. He saw the Lord lifted up in a train. His glory covered the temple. And he fell down and he says, woe is me. I'm a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When we see him, we're going down. When we're going up, we haven't seen him. But here it was that Isaiah was speaking of a God of might and an arm that's ruling. His reward is with him. His recompense is before him. God is a God of great love, but God is a God of also great justice. The word of God says he is both just and a justifier of those who believe in Jesus. But also at the same time, his love is so great, he reaches out in this day which we live and continually gives each one of us opportunity after opportunity. But he also is a God of justice. He will stand on truth. He can go no other place but to stand on truth. 
there's something else about God, and sometimes prophets can forget this, and men of God and women of God can forget this. In verse 11, he said, But Isaiah, like a shepherd, the Lord will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently need. He will gently lead the nursing hooves. Isaiah, as you go out there and you speak of the greatness of God, don't ever stop until you speak about the shepherd God is to a sheep. He's the one that seeks the one that went stray from the 99. The reason we're here tonight is because God has sought us out in some pretty amazing places to redeem us to himself. And here it is, the Lord is saying this, and I take this, and really for myself in studying this, this is just a lesson of 101 Christian ministry. You speak of the justice and the righteousness of God, but always speak of the gentleness and the love and the kindness of God. It's an amazing dynamic that swings through the Bible like a pendulum. You can see it here, you can see it there. It'll swing, it will touch this side, it will touch this side. There's times as a pastor, you will get locked into this area for a moment, but don't take too long until you're over here because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice it says in verse 11, in his arm he shall gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. And I love this. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. God touches us just as much as we need to be touched. He doesn't beat us. He doesn't kick us, but he touches us perfect. As we're looking at this, we're looking, though, at something that is so powerful, the word of God, and we're still looking at this great truth. God is everywhere. God is everything. God's got the answers. Every answer, every problem. And here's another great one of the Word of God. The last chapter of the book says it. It says it throughout the Bible, though. God wins. He wins again and again. He wins at the cross. He wins when he sends his son. He wins in every time a person is saved. God wins. And God was teaching Isaiah as a prophet here, take that message that God wins. Take it wherever you go. And here he speaks also that God is a very gentle God. I think most of us would probably have a testimony in our life of learning that slowly. Most of us would see first God way up there, kind of like this, the one with the big stick. And finally, we begin to see a God that says, come here, I really love you. I don't want to hurt you. I want to have communion with you. I want to be your best friend. Sometimes that takes many years, and many of you could testify. You could stand up today and spend the rest of time and far more testifying to the beauties of God and his character and his might. And what's going to happen is we're going to, all of a sudden, Isaiah is going to reel off around 15 questions. But I think I'll tell you one other story because we were involved in another kind of business in which we had to train men for highly regulated, dangerous work driving large trucks on top of railroad tracks throughout U.S. And we trained them with a program called the Smith Driving School Program. Some of you may know what it is. There's five simple lessons in, in Smith Driving School. 
And I, they made me take it too, okay? I had to take the test. But there's two things I learned in that, le- in that, that it never, never left me from learning on that Smith Driving School. The first is this. Uh, you always have to keep perspective when you're driving. If you stop looking out ahead, they suggest 1,500 feet minimum. Looking ahead of where you're going, you're going to lose perspective and find yourself in a dangerous position. There's another one. I never knew this one. Probably some of you knew it for all your life. The rearview mirror is a very, very dangerous thing because it doesn't give proper perspective to where you came from, nor does it. Matter of fact, our safety director of that company today, a good friend of mine, he says, if I could do one thing in every one of our vehicles, I'd yank the rearview mirror off because people will stop. It will divert them. They'll look. They'll do different things. But when you think about this in light of simply beholding the Lord our God, there is a place that God calls all of us to step back, make sure we have perspective. Look out. Don't get lost in the clutter of today. Because so often the maze and the clutter of today, if we linger on it too long, will drag us down for the perspective that God wants us to keep. There's another lesson there. Don't get diverted because Satan is a master diverter. He is so clever. It's one of the greatest schemes that he has up his sleeve is just get us off of the mark of the prize of the high calling of God as it is in Christ Jesus. And really, as you look at Isaiah, this was his message to the people. We need to look up. We need to focus beyond here. We need to look up to the one who has all of the answers, the one who's coming again, the one who wants to be our friend even in the time of Israel, the one who would redeem Israel. And here it was that Isaiah was coming to these people with this beautiful message that we're sharing tonight. Now notice these questions, the questions that he begins to reel off, just like a bullet questions almost. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked out the heavens by by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in the balance of the hills in a pair of scales? Who? Who? He's saying, this is God. Who can do this? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? No one. We know the answer. With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? No one gave him understanding. He is all-knowing. Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him in the ways of understanding? He needed no one. Every one of us need guidance and direction continually. But this God needed no one. He was God. He was perfect in every way. And informed him, behold, notice this this next 15, 16, 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of the dust of the scales. And behold, he lifts up the islands like a fine dust. And even Lebanon isn't enough to burn. Lebanon, a beautiful place of great wood, and it's not enough to burn, nor it's beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. 
You know, as children, we used to sing a song with all of our children, and the children got to love this song. And it was a song, many of you know it. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. God's got it. This is another great truth of the Word of God. God already has it. We, sometimes we yet do not know that. And then here comes more questions, and Isaiah is just pummeling these questions. To whom then will you liken God? Or with what likeness will you compare? Find a comparison to God. And we say, wow, that one football player I know. Or how about that great politician? Or how about whoever? And Isaiah is saying, they're going to they're land down there at like rubble, at the very ground of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As for an idol, notice this, a craftsman cast it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions it with chains. He, is, he who is too impoverished and for such an offering seeks a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. And God has allowed men to do so much with their hands. They have been able to raise up monuments even unto themselves and unto other kinds of idols. They have built temples and edifices, and you'll see them all over the world today, where people who have never even heard of God are spending billions of dollars raising up temples to a name in which is not even alive. But here it is, he says, he says, oh, don't you know? 21, have you not heard? Has it not be, been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. And here it is that Isaiah is saying, when you put a comparison of the greatest king you can ever think of. And right at that time, Hezekiah was a good king. He is nothing before the greatness of the one who's created everything. It is an amazing truth of the gospel and of the word of God. And here it is that Isaiah, I think there's a verse in Psalms 97 and 5. It says, the hills melt like wax in the presence of God. God is an amazing God. He spoke the world into existence. And here, Isaiah is drawing this comparison with the message he's taking to the people. We are serving and worshiping an incomparable God. There is no other God. It is the reason God is so jealous for his glory. He will not share his, his glory with anyone. He says, I am God. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor will I give my praise to any graven image. God will not. He is jealous of his glory. And we can, there's a tale throughout the word of God of men who are for, for a moment grabbed the glory of God, and God cursed those people. God cursed those individuals because he is incomparable in every way. You know, there's, there's words we try to 
used to describe the greatness of God, like the omniscience of God, and that is that God knows, big word, but God knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know. David himself in the 139th Psalm says, there's not even a word in my tongue, O God, that you don't know altogether. Another word we have trying to describe God and we come up so, so short as the omnipotence of God, that God is all-powerful. There is some thought that the day will come when the Lord comes back to this earth and the word of God says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 or 2 that he will destroy the world with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. I have heard messages and read articles that says someday God will just open up the shikana glory of God and will consume the world. There is nothing to compare to the greatness of God. The omnipresence of God is God is everywhere. Every corner of the earth. Even David called it out in Psalm 139 and says, Lord, even if I make my bed in hell, you're down there. If I go up to heaven, you're there. Some of us have been in places and you've cried from the depths of your heart, God, where are you? God was there. We just didn't know it yet. God is an amazing, abundant, amazing God. Verse 23, it is he who reduces rulers to nothing, makes the judges the earth meaningless. Then here comes the question again. We're on some of those 15 questions. I think one translation gives 14. To whom will you liken me that I would be equal, says the Holy One. Try to find a comparison. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. He just points the scars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number. Okay, who knows? Who knows the stars? The one who he calls them by name. Who else has named the stars? I just Googled it real fast. I'd forgotten. Say in our galaxy, there's 100 billion stars. That's the estimate. And the estimate is if we had all everything that was available to man, we could find probably 200 billion more galaxies. And when Isaiah was speaking of this, he was speaking of a, of a knowledge and a comprehension so vast that the little human mind doesn't even touch the surface. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. I love that too. It's an amazing that God is so all-powerful and yet God would stop and linger with you and me. Not only that, he could call out right now and say, John, I know how many hairs on, how many hairs on your head right now. I know how many you had yesterday, how many you're going to have tomorrow. This is God. He is so all supreme in every way. What he knows, what he does, and Isaiah goes on, and he calls the people out here in verse 27. And why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Why would you ever think you could get away from God? And the justice do me escapes to notice my God. What would ever make you think God would not see where you're at? David says, where could I ever go from your spirit? And where could I ever flee from your presence? And if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go into hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and go even go to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're there. And your right hand is leading me and you're guiding me. Where could you ever go to get away from God? 
Do you not know, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired and his understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And this is what is so beautiful because I want to leave us with this tonight as we come to the end of the message. He gives strength to the weary. And the vigorous young men even stumble badly. But then all of a sudden God says, I'm going to give you a little secret. I'm going to give you a secret that you can take home with you. You can take it to your faith bank and hang on to this. It doesn't matter where you're at tonight. I don't know if it's like this with you, but when I go into a place like Isaiah 40 and I look at this long enough and study it, and I was looking at this most of the day, and I was just overwhelmed, just kept coming back overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, you know what that does? It goes right off of my little brain map after a while. This is so big. God is so majestic and so mighty and powerful, and the comprehension of what he can see and know and do is unbelievable. But then he said, I'm going to give you a little secret. He says, those that wait for the Lord. Those who allow God to work. Those who have patience in times of difficulty. Those who keep trusting when it doesn't seem like it's even possible to trust. Those who have watched their visions crushed under a load of disappointment. Those who wait on the Lord. He says, will gain new strength. God is saying, Isaiah, don't ever get through talking about my greatness till you tell about my secret. If you wait in the Lord, you're going to get new strength. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get crushed. You're going to get blown away by the greatness of God and the circumstances even around you. But then he says, but those who wait in the Lord will gain new strength. He says, this is my secret. They will mount up with wings. Notice this, like an eagle. They're going to they're gonna start flying. What's going to happen is as they wait, a strength is going to come in their life that they did not possess to take them places they never thought they would go or places they never thought they could get to. Some of you have some amazing testimonies in this church tonight. You've waited. You've seen God work. And you're waiting today too. I could go up and down almost every row here and hardly miss a person that is not waiting on the Lord somewhere. I remember a time thinking I had to make a decision, a little old truck in 1985. And that was such a big burden for me. And I wrestled with that. And I thought, when I get done with this decision, I'll be all done. <laughs> all it did was open a door into many, 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 many more decisions. And God here says, but I'm going to give you a, a secret of Christian strength, waiting on me to work. Some of us have tried it. We've jumped out ahead of God. We've had the resources, or we thought we had the connection, or we had the words, and it didn't work. Now, this is what he's saying here. He says, those who wait on me will gain new strength. And then he compares it to the eagle, the strongest bird I'm sure that Israel could see. Some of, those, some of the eagles I've seen overseas are amazing in what they are. 
Here, here it goes on. He says, they will mount up with wings like an eagle. And then notice what it says. Now they're going to run and not get tired. They're not going to burn out. They're not going to wear out in the Christian faith as they wait on him. They're going to run and not get tired. And they're going to walk and not wait, not faint. There's a song we used to sing as kids. It said, oh, Lord, they that wait in the Lord. It says, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. I'm going to tell you a story that came to me as we came with studying this that is very precious to Deb and I. Many years ago now, I had a pastor friend in Indiana who lost a very, a 20-year-old son in the middle of the night north of Indianapolis, Indiana, on a head-on collision. He was not saved. It crushed their spirit, one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. He called me David, or I called him David. The other one called Jonathan. Haven't seen him for a couple years. They came to Washington where we were pastoring, and we took them up to Buchart Gardens. I don't know how many of you have ever been there. If you haven't been there, I'd recommend it. Great place to go in the summer, full of flowers. Deb and I took them for a couple days to Buchart. In front of them were answers they had no answers for, questions they had no answers for. And Future Gardens is a place that if you give four to six hours, you'll get through the, the beautiful gardens. It's up in Victoria, British Columbia. But Deb and I would stand back and wait as they would just stop at a flower, and they would stop there for the longest time and just stare at that flower and smell that flower. And I realized that we were standing on holy ground. The Holy Spirit was ministering to their hearts through his creation in a way that we better not get in the way. And that was the longest time I've ever spent in Buchart Gardens. The way you get to the Buchart Gardens as we left is you take a ferry back to, towards Seattle or up to Port Angeles, and that has, that's how you get back. It's a, be- it's a beautiful thing to take a ferry through there. That's one of the things. Arizona's beautiful. What makes that so beautiful up there is the San Juan Islands that surround the area. And I'd been thinking about that. I thought, that's amazing how that couple through this great trial in which they just poured out their heart and they wept and we wept with them. We happened to be at the memorial service and spoke in their church that Sunday when the whole congregation about this full had no answers. They didn't know what to do. But on the way back, we were taking the ferry through the Puget Sound. And the ferry is going along about 40 knots or so. And along beside us, I was standing on the rail with Richard, my friend, and Deb and Evelyn. And here comes a seagull. And the seagull comes right beside us, and I could not believe it. The ferry was moving towards Seattle, and the seagull was right next to us exactly, just face to face. So finally, we could actually take a piece of food and hold it out, and that seagull would come over and eat that piece of food. You say, how could he do it? The ferry's running at 30 to 40 miles an hour. Here's the secret. The, fer- the, the seagull had learned where the wind had been picked up by the ship, and it caught the power of the wind and the aerodynamics, and he wasn't even flying. He was gliding with a strength greater than himself. Now, this is the message tonight for each of you. 
No matter where you are in your lives, no matter where you have been, no matter what questions you do not have the answer for, and I have those too, I can give you a promise that when you wait in the Lord, the strength of the Holy Spirit is going to come under you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to give you strength. And it will not be you flying any longer. It will be that which he does to give you the power to go on. And the reason he does that is because he's God and he gives us everything. He's a king of kings and Lord of lords. And I say this because I want to encourage us all this evening. Let's look back up, okay? Let's get our eyes on Jesus and the Father who sent him into the world and gave his only begotten Son. Let's look for a solution beyond ourselves. And God is going to give us that strength to mount up like a wing, like wings like eagles, and we'll run. And we're not going to get tired because God's going to give us the strength. And we'll walk and we're not going to wear out because God will give us the strength. And I encourage you here tonight as we end this message, we've looked at just a couple amazing truths about the greatness of God. Next week, you'll come back to Job and you'll begin to see that again and again in the book of Job. This great teaching of how great God is, but never let go of that because that's where the sun is. That's where the strength is to go on. And that's where the current is going to flow to keep us going until Jesus comes for his bride. God bless you all. Let's just, uh, we'll have a word of prayer and may God be with each of you as you go this week. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the comfort of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can come here tonight with so many different circumstances and we can claim your promises and know that you're going to take care of us. I thank you, God, for that promise. I thank you for how you keep churches, you keep people, you keep families, O oh Lord. And may we keep our eyes upon you, looking well to your wonderful name and the things of this world, O oh Father, will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. May your name be lifted up on high for you forever dwell in the heavens of heavens and you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thanks be unto God for your unspeakable gift that is Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.